Joel, the second chapter, a very familiar portion of Scripture, I'm sure, and it is one of my favorite. It's kind of hard to pick a favorite text, of course, when you're referring to the Word of the Lord. But I love this text. I love what it means, and I love how it affects each and every person who reads it and allows it to take place in their life. So Joel, the second chapter, verse 23, Be glad, then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore, everybody say restore, to you, to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the cankerworm and the pomp and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. I want to preach to you just for a little while principles in the path to restoration. God, I thank you, Lord, for your presence in this house. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a restoring God, that your spirit, Lord, prevails over every spirit in this world, that there is no weapon formed against the church that shall prosper. God, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint each and every one of us that you would strengthen us, that you would bind us together in one mind, in one accord, in one purpose. Let your spirit do its work in our hearts. And everybody say, in Jesus' name. Praise God. Let's give the Lord another good hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can be seated. God is in the restoration business. I said, God is in the restoration business. In Romans, the 8th chapter and the 28th verse, another one of my favorite portions of Scripture, it says, and we know, referring to common understanding, that all things, meaning no exception, Work together, meaning there's unity and cohesiveness for good. That means a positive outcome. I like that, Brother Jay. To them that love God. Uh-oh. Conditional based on relationship. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Conditional based on you allowing his will to take place in your life. The scripture I find every day that I live is valid 
no matter what you go through. Can I get a witness in the house? If you're going to have a restored life, you're going to have to buy into his word for face value. You must also understand that there are principles in God's word that lead to a life of restoration and blessing. All things work together for good. I don't know how many times I read that scripture and I would get excited that all the things that would happen in my life would work to good. But one day the Lord reminded me the rest of the scripture. I like to call it God's contingency clause. And that is that everything is not going to work out together for your good if you don't love the Lord. All right? You've got to have a love for the Lord that's more intense, more powerful, more passionate than anything in this world. You can't love everything else and then, Lord, just make one spot in your life. You've got to love the Lord with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. He has got to be the top priority in your life. But if you love Him, then no matter what comes your way, hallelujah, I've got good news for you. God is going to turn it for your good. Thank you, Lord. But that's not the only contingency clause in that scripture. It also says that for those that are called according to His purpose, that means you just can't do anything you want to do. That means you just can't have it your way, like Burger King states. But you've got to be committed to God's way. But if you're committed to God's way, His purpose, His will, He will turn all of life's events for your good. I'm so thankful to know that I am in the business of God's business. That it doesn't matter what comes my way. I can look to the Lord and say, Lord, I love you with all of my heart. And I've been committed to your purpose. So I'm excited to see how you're going to turn all of this for my good. Church, you don't have to fear tomorrow. You don't have to fear the problems. You don't have to fear life's circumstances. Circumstances when you love God and you're called according to His purpose, He'll turn everything around for your good. But you know what? The Word of the Lord has always been full of contingency clauses. Second Chronicles, when God came to Solomon, said, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There were contingencies in order for the blessings of the Lord to preside on those people. Those contingency clauses didn't just last in the Old Testament, but they continued in the New Testament. In Matthew, the 17th chapter, it says... If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, then you can say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it 
shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Again, it shows up that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, then they that shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. In Mark 9, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. John said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There has been contingency clauses from the beginning of time. If you want God's blessing, if you want God's touch, if you want God's anointing, if you want His Spirit, there are conditions, there are principles that we must abide by in order for us to have not only a restored life, but a life of blessing. The fact of the matter is, that even the very beginning of the church age was founded on a contingency clause. Bible says that when he was crucified, prior to that he said, or, or right after that, whenever he was arose and began to commune with them, he said, go and tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Bible says that they went into Jerusalem and found themselves in an upper room. I like the fact that the Holy Ghost didn't fall the first night that they were there. It didn't fall the third night they were there. It didn't fall the seventh night that they were there. Hallelujah. But ten days later, if they had been tarrying, obeying the word of the Lord, to tarry until... Hallelujah, I've got good news in the church. If you're going through a hard time, if you're going through a storm, if you're going through chaos, if you're going through a problem, you need to tarry until. Don't get short with God because His timing is not your timing. If you'll wait on God, God absolutely will give you a suddenly moment just like in the day of Pentecost. His Spirit will come and prevail on you and touch you and fill you and deliver deliver you, but you've got to be willing to tarry until he comes. Thank God they did that because we get to experience in every service the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. If you're seeking the Holy Ghost, don't get discouraged the first time you come to an altar and you don't get it. Hallelujah. If you know the Lord has placed you here, don't get discouraged when it takes seemingly forever for you to get where you want to get. You need to wait on the Lord. You need to trust Him. You need to put your faith in the Lord. And God in His timing will perform the miraculous in your life. Hallelujah. That's not the only principle towards a life of blessing and restoration. One of the principles that you will come to in your path towards restoration is that you must recognize and respect the prophet in your life. We call them pastors today. The fact of the matter is, if you don't recognize and respect the man of God in your life, you will never live a life of blessing. In 2 Kings, the fourth chapter and the 8th through the 17th verse, it says, It fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, 
where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us he shall turn in hither. And it fell on a day that he came thither and turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said unto her, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son. At the season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. I'm going to tell you something that you will never recognize the man of God in your life if you do not have a relationship with the Lord first. The Bible declares that this was a devout woman. When you begin to study that out, everything about her, her tendencies was towards Jehovah. She had a heart after Jehovah. She had a relationship with Jehovah. She understood and felt and knew what it was like for his spirit to prevail in her house. So naturally, when the prophet, the man of God, walked by, she instantly understood that is a man of God. Some of us, because we struggle so often, it's because we don't want to recognize and respect the man of God in our life. But if you'll find a place in your prayer room and you'll get a hold of the Lord and you'll fall in love with him, it'll be easy to recognize the man of God, the prophet in your life when he walks by. Hallelujah. You've got to have a relationship with God and you must recognize and respect the man of God in your life. Fact is, this discerning act brought a blessing to them. I can imagine seeing it in my mind's eye. Honey, this is a man of God. I want I want there to be a place, a habitation, where he always feels welcome. Wow. What would happen to that in a church age if we would all get the mindset that the very best friend that we can have outside of God is the man of God in our life, that we always let him know that there's a safe place, that there's a habitation that we're going to erect in our house. He's always welcome into our house. He's always welcome into our business. He's always welcome into our choices. He's always welcome into our decisions. That woman recognized that the best thing she could ever do was to recognize the prophet in her life and to build a habitation where when he walked by, he always felt safe and secure. So she goes and she builds this table. 
and she builds this bed and she puts a lamp, a candlestick on it, and she makes sure that there's bread there and makes sure that it's comfortable. And every time Elisha walks by, he always knows that it's a safe place over there at the Shudamite's house. Hallelujah. It's a safe place. Every time that I walk by, I know that she is going to take care of me. Hallelujah. And that day, the thing that she wanted the most, she didn't do it to receive anything out of it. She didn't do it because she had a motive. She didn't do it because she had an agenda. She did it because she loved the Lord and she loved the man of God in her life. But on that day, the prophet recognized all of that. And he looked at this Shunammite woman and he said, What is it that you want more than anything else? And through that process, he found out that she had not bore a child. She had lived her whole marriage. They had gotten old. And there was no child there. The thing that she dreamed for, the thing that she wanted the most, the thing that she desired the most... She had not received. I think that needs to be a lesson to all of us here today. She didn't give up on God. She didn't quit on God. She didn't get bitter with God because things hadn't quite turned out like she had planned and everything hadn't turned out quite the way that she wanted it to. She didn't turn her face towards against God because she had never gotten a child. She was faithful. And in her faithfulness, God made sure that she received her promise, made for sure that she received the dream that she had always held close to her bosom. Well, Elisha, she doesn't have a child. You let her know that a child's coming. Her first reaction was, I don't believe that. Don't lie to me. Don't get my hopes up. Why is it that sometimes we react that way? We're faithful to the house of the Lord. We're faithful to God. We're faithful to the, to the business of God. And all of a sudden those dreams begin to, to begin to surface. And all of a sudden we get a word from the Lord, maybe in a church service like this, that lets us realize, you've got to be kidding me. My promise is coming. I've been let down so many times. I've had to live without my promise so many times. Don't lie to me. I've got good news for somebody in the house today. Don't give up on the Lord. He is a faithful God. He will bring to pass your promise. He will bring to pass your dreams if you will remain faithful to Him. This bouncing baby boy comes forth. She enjoys what it feels like to be a mama. I imagine that they were close. She got to nurture him. She got to read bedtime stories to him. She got to feed him his favorite meals. They had long conversations. Mama and son were close. All because she was willing to recognize and respect the man of God in her life. But you know what? That wasn't the only blessing that she received because there was a day that came where that promise died, where that miracle perished, where the thing that she loved the most was walking in the field 
and become faint and become sick. And they had to rush him back to the house. And in the process of rushing to the house, her promised child died because she understood the value of the man of God in her life. And she built a habitation where he could always feel safe. She was able to scoop up that dead promise and take it to the place where she had made it comfortable for the prophet. And she laid her dead prophet on the couch, or her dead child on the couch that her prophet that would come by would always lay. And it was in that time that the word came to the prophet that her child had died. The prophet made his way to a place that was so familiar to him. And he walked into that house and to that couch. And he began to pray over that child. And you know the rest of the story. That child was resurrected. Why? Because this woman had respect for a prophet in her life. And even when it came time for her promises to die, because she had a place of respect, there was a place to take her child where the prophet would feel comfortable to walk into and pray a prayer of faith. And a resurrection, a restoration took place. I've come to tell somebody in the house today that if you have a respect for the prophet in your life, if you will honor the man of God in your life, not only will God will impart blessings, not only will he give you promises, but in the way of life, if your promise dies, if your dream dies, you'll have a place to carry that dead dream and God will show up. The man of God will show up and everything will be restored back unto you. I'm talking about principles in the path of restoration. But you're not only going to have to recognize and respect the prophet in your life, but you must be willing to reconcile your past. Somebody hear me tonight. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the 15th verse says, See then, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Circumspectly means to walk with awareness. 360 degree viewpoint. Redeeming the time means to make meaning of your journey. A desire to know and pursue the will of God. Barnes states, redeem means to rescue or recover our time from waste. You see, there is a spirit of the enemy that likes to come into the church when bad things happen and make us believe that it's all lost, that it's all gone, that we've wasted our time, that it's forever gone. But Paul told the church of Ephesus to redeem the time. That God is a God that will redeem the time that you have considered to be lost. Jesse Jackson, during his 88 presidential campaign, made a very astute statement. He said, people have never come to understand the past who have no understanding of the present, are destined to never have a future. I'm telling you that when you're a child of God, things do not happen by accident. 
I'm talking about when you are a child of God, God places you on a journey. And he is not surprised when there's a hiccup in your journey. He doesn't look around and wonder where you're at and where you've gone. He knows right where you're at. And he knows, according to the scripture that we read just a little bit ago, how to turn it all for good. It is not lost. It is not forgotten. It is not doomed. God knows how to redeem the time in your life. He knows how to restore those things that have been lost. But you must be willing to allow the Lord to redeem those things. Joseph, prior to his journey from his daddy's house in Canaan that day, was depicted as only one who dreamed dreams. They said, Behold, that dreamer cometh. Let's see what will become of his dreams. They had no clue that God's hand was on Joseph. But Joseph had to incur betrayal. Joseph had to incur being sold out. Joseph had to incur an evil plot told to his father that he had been killed. Joseph had to endure the temptation. Joseph had to endure the prison. Joseph had to endure being forgotten. Seventeen years, he seemingly, what others would say, wasted his life away. But God had had Joseph on a journey. And he wasn't forgotten when he was sold. And he wasn't forgotten when he was betrayed. And he wasn't forgotten when he went through temptation. And he wasn't forgotten when he was lied about. God had him on a journey where he went in the rightful place, the rightful destination that God had always planned for his life. Joseph knew how to let God redeem the time when it seemed like so much time had been wasted. And I'm telling you, the Lord wants to send a message to somebody in the house today that he would like to redeem the time in your life, that it's not lost. Hallelujah, it's not over. Hallelujah, he's got you on a journey. And he intends to get you to the finish line. Hallelujah. Let me tell you what happens when you, when you will allow the Lord to keep you on the journey that he has predetermined for your life. Something will transpire that you can't get there without it, Brother Jay. In one moment, he is announced by his brothers, Behold the dreamer. But all of a sudden, when the guy remembers, Oh, I know a guy who knows how to interpret dreams. Then, as he is brought before Pharaoh in that palace, 
He's no longer the guy who just dreams dreams. But this time after the betrayal and after being sold out and after the lies and after the temptation, he now has revelation. He now has understanding. You can't get that without the storm. You can't get that without the trial. You can't get that without the junk. But if you'll hang in there, God will give you revelation. You'll not only be a guy who dreams dreams, but you'll be a guy who has revelation to those dreams. That's why Joseph could look at his brothers. And he could say, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save such much people alive. I'm telling you that God has a revival churning, being birthed in every one of us. It's because of a personal testimony that is willing to buy into God's vision and God's purpose. You're not going to get there. You're not going to be much in the hands of the Lord if you don't allow Him to let you go through the junk, to go through the storms, to go through the mess. But if you'll keep your hand in His hand, David pinned the words, Yea, though I walk through the valley, of the shadow of death I will fear no evil and even when you are compassed about by your enemies he said I will prepare a table before you in the midst of your enemies he knows how to stop the enemy and give you the sustenance that you need if you'll just stay in the master's hand and allow God to redeem your life you not only have to respect and recognize the man of God in your life, you not only have to redeem the time, make sense, make meaning of your past, but you must be willing to embrace your future. I'm not going to take the time to read it tonight, but everybody, if you've ever been to a Sunday school class at one time or another, have heard about the story of Job. He was a man who was the richest man in the East. He had everything that you could possibly want. He had more camels. He had more oxen. He had more donkeys. He had more servants than anybody else. And in a chess match between God and Satan, he finds himself being the object of humiliation the object of loss. Everything stripped away in one day. He turns from one servant getting his, giving him bad news to the next servant, and it's topped with all of his children perishing in seemingly an act from God. But Job's response was the same. Naked I came into this world. And naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though the skin worms slay me, yet will I trust him. I want to know how many in the house have a faith like that. That even when all of the things befall us, even when it seems like it's the very hand of God, we will look to God and we will lift up our hands and say, God, I trust you. I believe you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to...
going to turn away. I know you do all things well. But the thing that probably gripped me more than anything was I began to recognize and realize the humanity of Job. You don't think he had a dream for Susie? You don't think that he had in his mind what he wanted little Johnny to do? You don't think he didn't sit up at night thinking, man, that's going to be cool. Brother Hughes, little Susie and I walking down the aisle. I know there ain't no guy good enough for her, but that's going to be a cool day. I'm going to walk down the aisle with my bride dressed in white. Celebrating the most beautiful moment in her life. He had dreams for Susie. He had dreams for Johnny. He had dreams for every one of his children. And in one day, all those dreams died. Job had to make a decision that day. And that was, do I turn my face against the Lord? Do I become bitter because my plans didn't quite turn out the way I thought they were going to? Or am I going to trust God for the future that he has for me? And thankfully, Job said, you know what? I don't know that I understand all of this, but I'm giving it to you, God. And I'm going to trust you with a different future than what I had thought up in my mind. I'm going to buy in to a different future than what I had planned out. And when he did that, God got in the business of doing what he does best. And he began to restore Job's life. And he gave him everything back that he ever had. And he even more, he gave him children back. God knows how to restore your life. Don't get bitter. Don't turn your face against God just because it don't turn out like you thought. Trust God for a different future than what you might have planned out for your life. Hallelujah. And one day, Job's future changed. He had to give it to the Lord, and he had to trust him. The Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. I'm telling you. You don't have to understand everything that God does in your life. But if you want his blessings, if you want a life of restoration, you must be willing to embrace it and trust the Lord. He does all things well. Hallelujah. 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 I'm almost done. It took me a while to realize that the enemy has to get permission from God to do anything that is depicted in the story of Job. But one of the things that I didn't ever pay attention to 
was you don't find Job having a conversation with Satan prior to Satan's conversation with God. My point is this, that if the enemy has to get permission from God, our Father, before he does every, anything to us, then rest assured everything's going to be all right. So if the devil is telling you that all these bad things are going to happen, if you serve me, I'm going to cost you your job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. If you serve me, I'm going to take everything away. If you do this, I'm going to... If you are having a conversation with the devil and he is threatening you based on your commitment to God, then guess what? He hasn't had a conversation with God yet. He's just lying to you. Because if he had already had a conversation with God and had God permission, he wouldn't be talking to you. He's talking to you because God's not letting him touch your life. So he just wants to throw threats and he wants to discourage you and he wants to put you down. If he's talking to you, he doesn't have a right to touch you. You can rejoice in God that all things are going to work together for good if you love God and are called according to his purpose. I want us to stand in the house tonight. I feel like the Lord wants to encourage some people in this house that are absolutely under attack. He wants you to know that it's going to be all right. He wants you to know that it's not over. You love him. You respect the prophet. You redeem, let God redeem the time. And you buy into God's future. And God knows how to change the course of events in your life. Pardon me if you'll allow me to, in closing, to share a personal story. About 18 years ago, at that particular time in my life, it was one of the darkest times that I had ever gone through. Felt like the rug had been jerked out from underneath my feet. From my perspective, Brother Hughes, all I could see was loss. I could not see how this could turn out to be good. The miraculous thing is that the Lord was already in the process of turning things, the events of my life around. But I could not get to pass the idea that because this event had transpired that it would cost me everything. I couldn't see a future. I wanted to see a future. 
but I couldn't see a future. We were in L.A. Were we dating? All right, we had been married a year, something like that. We were in L.A. at Newport Beach, Brother Hughes. And after all the Lord had already been doing, changing the course of my life, I was still stuck in this mindset that I couldn't get past the past. We were sitting and eating this pizza place, one of my favorite places in Newport Beach. It's got a Hawaiian pizza that will knock your socks off. We were sitting down eating, and I had a couple pieces of Hawaiian left over. She had a couple pieces of pepperoni left over, and when we got ready to clean the table up, I looked outside, and there was a homeless man out the door, and he was digging in the trash. I said, babe, I'm going I'm to walk out there and hand him our pizza. It was still warm. It's a whole lot better than what he was getting in there. So I walked out there, Brother Hughes, and I said, sir, <clears throat> I've got some pizza still warm. We want you to have it. He kind of lowered his head and took the plate from me. I turned around and didn't say anything else to him, walked back in, and we started cleaning up the table. And when I turned around, what I saw shocked me so bad I had to sit back down in my seat. He had placed this plate of warm pizza, good stuff, on top of the trash can. And he was digging in the trash, still looking for food. I watched him finally take the plate off the trash can and sit down on the curb He didn't do this with a Hawaiian pizza, but he did it with the pepperoni. He began to take the pepperonis off and throw them in the street. Like he cared what he was eating. And I looked at her and I said, I cannot believe what has happened. And then the Lord spoke to me. It smote me like a dagger. He said, son, that's you. I said, God, how can that be me? He said, because I've already started turning your life around. I've already given you a nice piece of pizza, son. And you're still digging in the trash. Because this ain't quite what you ordered. And the blessings that I'm trying to provide for you. You're picking them apart. Because it's not the life that you ordered. And it's not you what you wanted to happen. And it's not the events that you wanted to take place in your life. And you're busy picking apart my blessings. When if you'll just trust me. If you'll just let me redeem your life. If you'll just let me restore you. I've got the greatest life that you could ever hope to have. Quit picking apart the blessing and quit eating out of the trash can. I didn't do it right then, but as moment I could, I got along with the Lord. And I said, God, forgive me. 
God forgive me. I have forgotten that you are the creator of all things and nobody knows how to outcreate you. We're so caught up in the mess of trying to outcreate the creator. You're never going to do that. He's got the best life that you could ever hope to have. You just need to commit to God his purpose and his will. And he will give you the greatest life you could ever hope to have. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you, if you would, to take your neighbor's hand, make your way to the front. I want to make this easy on every person. I don't want anybody to feel like you're the one being singled out. But I want everybody in the house to make their way to the front. Hallelujah. I'm talking about somebody hear me. I'm talking about a spirit that is attacking some of you that your pain and that your problems and your issues in life are trying to cancel out your future and you think time has been wasted. You need to put your faith and trust in the Lord that there's no time being wasted here. God knows how to redeem the time. He knows how to heal you. He knows how to touch you. He knows how to restore your life. He knows how to create a life in you that is greater than anything you could.